0: If you have your Bible, go ahead and open up to First John, First John chapter 2. Uh, We're going to be picking up in verse 7 today in just a moment, Uh, but as you're turning there, uh, let me just give a little refresher and review on where we've been so far. So two weeks ago, we started reading the, the letter of 1 John together. Uh, And we saw that there are a a number of these beautiful, incredible themes, but one of the primary themes we've been considering together is this. Who God is determines who we are. Who God is determines who we are. Our identity is rooted in God. Uh, And so who God is, who we understand and know Him to be, will determine who we become as God's people. And this is emphasized multiple times throughout the letter we've talked about so far. Multiple times, John describes explicitly who God is. In chapter one, John writes, God is light. Right? We read that last week. And then later on in chapter four, John repeats twice that God is love. God is love. So this is who God is. God is light. And God is love. And then also, throughout the letter, multiple times, John addresses the readers and and indicates, hey, this is who you are. He uses two primary words. One of the words he uses is the word beloved. And another word he uses is the word children. So who are we? We are beloved children. This is who we are. So who God is determines who we are. This is the big picture of 1 John. And so last week, we kept digging through and we read the end of chapter 1, the beginning of chapter 2, which explores this description that God is light. And we saw last week that because God is light, we are called to walk in the light, just as he is in the light, which means confronting and confessing our sin, and trusting Jesus to forgive and cleanse us, Uh, living honestly with each other and before God, right? This is what we talked about last week, but um, there's more. You see, for many, that's the gospel, right? Jesus died for your sins so you can be forgiven, but that's only the beginning of the gospel. That's only the beginning of the gospel. What we saw as we read last week is that forgiveness is not the end goal. Rather, forgiveness is what is needed to get to the goal, which is walking as Jesus walked, which is following his commandments, living as he walked lived. That's the goal. Forgiveness is what begins that transformation of us into the people of God. And so as we continue reading today, John continues right where we left off last week by continuing to explain what it means to follow his commandments. He's going to describe this commandment as we read today, what it is, how it's followed, and also what it's not. Um, So let's Read. I think we're all caught up now. Let's read 1 John chapter 2, beginning in verse 7. Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. Yet, I am writing you a new commandment that is true in him and in you because the darkness is passing away, and the true light is already shining. Whoever says, I am in the light, while hating a brother or sister, is still in the darkness. Whoever loves a brother or sister lives in the light. And in such a person, there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates another believer, another brother or sister, Is in the darkness, walks in the darkness, and does not know the way to go because the darkness has brought on blindness. I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven on account of his name. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I am writing to you, young people, because you have conquered the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. And I write to you, young people, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. Do not love the world or the things in the world The love of the Father is not in those who love the world. For all that is in the world, the desire of the flesh, the desire of the eyes, the pride and riches, comes not from the Father, but from the world. And the world and its desire are passing away. But those who do the will of God live forever. This is the word of God for the people of God. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the good news of forgiveness and for all that that leads us to. God, I pray that as we consider the words of your scripture today, that you would sharpen our minds and soften our hearts, that we might know you and love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, as I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, we started first John, and one of the images we used to describe his writing style was that of a, a spiral staircase. You guys remember that from a couple of weeks ago? You know, John does not write in a linear way, you know, point A, B, then C. He writes in in sort of spirals. Uh, he, he says A, and then there's A and B, and then there's A and B and C, right? This is sort of how John writes. And here, as early as the middle of chapter 2, we're already uh, turning back around on this staircase as we ascend, Right? There are a number of things that are recurring, these recurring phrases and pictures and, and themes. If if you look back to verse one uh, of chapter one, the letter starts with that phrase, what was from the beginning? Right? And, and here what we've just read, John is talking about a command that is from the beginning. Right? Uh, last week we talked about light and darkness, and we see these themes appear again here. In this passage, last week, we also talked about sin and forgiveness, and John returns to that here as well in verse twelve. So we can see how this passage is is interconnected with all that John has been writing so far, right? It's like a song that starts off with just acoustic guitar, you know, and then the voice comes in, and then the piano comes in in the background, and then some harmonies come in, right? It's the same song. But you're adding one layer and another layer and another layer. This is how John writes. He's continuing the same song, but adding new themes and, and additional pieces to it. Uh, and so, and then also this passage that we've read is very interconnected. The, the whole piece that we just read at the very beginning in verse 8, he writes about light and a darkness that's passing away. And then down towards the end in verse 17, he writes about God and the desires of the world that are passing away. Same phrase, same, same word there. At the beginning, in verse 10, he writes about loving our brothers and sisters. And then at the end, in verse 15, he writes about loving God the Father. So this is all very interconnected as one passage, one kind of big idea that John is developing here. But, if you noticed... Right in the middle, there's a break, right? Right in the middle, something kind of shifts and changes. There's a sudden break with a few verses that read almost like poetry, right? There, I mean, it was broken out into lines and, and verses as we read. Uh, it's, it's this sort of moment, almost like watching a musical, right? The story is going on, and then suddenly everyone breaks for some, you know, dance and song. And then after that, you know, they continue, the story goes on, Right? That's sort of what happens here as John is writing, and I'm not entirely sure why he decided to to sort of break into this sort of poetic repetition in verse 12, but I have an idea about it, and we'll get to that, Um, but let's take this passage one section at a time, the the beginning chunk, that little break, and then the end, all right? So let's start back in verse 7. It begins, Beloved. Right, And I don't want you to miss this or skip past this, because this is one of the many times throughout the letter that John addresses the reader. And when you read that, I want you to let it sink in. Beloved. Beloved, this is who you are. Now, there are many modern translations that say, dear friends there instead. Maybe your Bible reads that. But the word there is literally a form of agape, which means unconditional love. And so beloved is a much more accurate translation of this Greek word. You are unconditionally loved. Beloved. This is who you are. So let that wash over you and sink in every time we come across it in this letter. You know, if your translation says, dear friends, look for that, because that's an indicator, beloved. You're beloved of God. And so verse 7, beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. Now, what is this commandment that he's writing about? This old commandment that you have heard from the beginning, right? What, what is this? Well, the easiest way to sort it out is to actually flip ahead. If you flip forward to John chapter 3, verse 11, he says, this is the message you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. This is the command that he's talking about. Again, later on in chapter 3, verse 23, he says, this is his commandment that we should believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another. So this is the, the commandment that he is writing about, this command to love one another. See, what John is saying is that this command is nothing new. You heard this when you first came to faith in Jesus, right? The generation before John's readers heard it straight from Jesus. Love one another. Right? And even before that, you know, we've heard this from the prophets of Israel. We have heard this even in the law of Moses. Love your neighbor as yourself. It's from Leviticus. And, and one could even say that this command goes all the way back to the very beginning when God created humanity as man and woman. And it says that they, they clung to one another became one flesh, right? This is a a picture of what it means to love one another. It goes back to the very beginning of creation. It is an old commandment from the very beginning. But in verse 8, he goes on and he says, Yet I am writing you a new commandment that is true in him and in you. Because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. And so this command to love one another is nothing new. It's old hat. It goes all the way back to the very beginning. But in Christ, it is made new again. This old commandment is also a new commandment made fresh because of who Jesus is, I am writing you a new commandment that's true in him and in you. Loving one another becomes new again in Jesus Christ, because we have seen the essence of love itself in his life and death and resurrection. This is what Love is. This is what Jesus meant when he told his disciples in John 13, I give you a new commandment, that you should love one another just as I have loved you, so you also should love one another. You see, what makes this command new is that love, loving one another is not to love according to the law, but loving according to Christ. And that's altogether different and new. The love of Christ is not based on rules and regulations, but it comes from the depth of his being, even unto death, even beyond death. This is the love made new that John is writing about. It is an old command that you know well, but it is a brand new command in Christ. So this love is old and ancient, but it's also new and fresh. And if you have ever experienced the love of God, well, then you know exactly what this is like. To experience God's love is to simultaneously rest in something that is ancient, steadfast, unmoving, unshakable. And yet at the same time, to be utterly moved by something that is new and energizing and constantly moving, right? right. It's, it's this love that we can rest in but also be sent by. It, it's a love that stands outside of time. To experience the love of God is, is to taste eternity. It's to it's step beyond time for a moment. It never grows old, even though it has existed from the beginning. And it is brand new, even though it has always been. This is the love that is old and new. Ever ancient, ever new, always fresh. And so, this is what John is writing about this old command that is altogether new in Christ. And then, John reintroduces the themes of light and darkness, right, which we started talking about last week. And I think the way that John uses this imagery of darkness and light really challenges a lot of our assumptions uh, about the way that we are and the way that things are. Are there any kind of big history fans here? I know there's probably a few history nerds around. Um, Let me see if, if you know this. There was a period in history in the 17th and 18th centuries that that was marked by an entirely new philosophical and scientific worldview that emphasized the importance of information and reason, right? It was sort of emerging out of the medieval period, often called the Dark Ages, uh, and, and suddenly there was this renewal of science and philosophy and reason and information and all kinds of stuff Do you know what this period of history was called? The Enlightenment. The Enlightenment. right? This age of reason was called the Enlightenment. And the idea is this. The more information you have, the more enlightened you'll become. Right? The more information you have, the more enlightened you will become. And in many ways we still operate this way. We're still living in this way. You know, we we emphasize the importance of education. Uh, You know, even in church, we emphasize Bible study and, you know, learning memory verses and so on. All kinds of stuff like that. But there's just one huge problem. If history has shown us anything, it's that all of the information we have accumulated over the past few hundred years since this supposed age enlightenment has not made us a more enlightened people at all we still fight wars society still wrestles with poverty addiction depression we're still stumbling around in the dark right I mean you don't have to think about the past few hundred years just think about the past couple of years Think about all the articles people swap on social media, send to each other, oh, read this, oh, you got to read that, oh, check this out, right? If anything, having more information has not made us smarter, but stupider, right? I mean, has anyone experienced this? Reason has failed to enlighten us. And that's because reason was never able to enlighten us. John shows us where true enlightenment comes from. In verse 10, whoever loves a brother or sister lives in the light. And in such a person, there is no cause for stumbling. You see, true enlightenment comes from loving one another. From loving One another. It certainly doesn't come from reading more articles or watching more news coverage. Enlightenment comes from looking at the people around you and loving them deeply and truly. Information, on the other hand, often has the opposite effect on us. We've learned how to weaponize information how to shame people with facts and figures. Christians have even learned how to use the Bible as a bludgeon, right? Hey, let me give you this verse and that, you know, just put put you all in a bunch of shame. Turning words of hope into words of hate. We must heed the words of verse 11. Whoever hates a brother or sister is in the darkness walks in the darkness and does not know the way to go because darkness has brought on blindness. You see, in all that we do, we have to ask this question. Is there hate in my heart? Man, even if I'm giving some really good information, is there hate in my heart? Is there bitterness? Or animosity? Because if so, we would do well to withhold, hold back, do some of what we talked about last week step into the light, confess our sins, ask Christ to cleanse us and make us new. This is also an important question to ask when we're consuming information. Is this leading me toward love? Or is this leading me toward hate? I recently saw something from a Christian author and scholar who wrote this. He said, Dear Christian, if your favorite news outlet stunts your desire to love your neighbor, regardless of that news outlet's partisan affiliation, whether it's right or left, if your favorite news outlet stunts your desire to love your neighbor, It is pushing you away from the heart of Jesus. And it's time to turn it off. If the news is transforming us into hateful, suspicious, and bitter people, we need to turn it off. That doesn't mean we need to become willfully ignorant and ignore what's going on in the world. It just means we need to be discerning of who we're becoming how our hearts are being shaped by the things that we're taking in. Information does not enlighten us. Only love brings us into the light. Only love helps us to see clearly. So this is the old yet new commandment that draws us into the light. Love your brothers and sisters. But who are these brothers and sisters? Who are these brothers and sisters, and how do we love them? Well, I think in some ways, this is what this next section uh, is meant to begin showing us, right? Verses 12 through 14, John makes a sort of musical, poetic break with repetition and variation. John describes different groups of people and proclaims truths about them. He says, I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven on account of his name. I am writing to you, fathers, and we might add, and mothers, because you know him who is from the beginning. And I am writing to you, young people, because you have conquered the evil one. And then again in verse 14, children, fathers, young people. Now, scholars have written a whole lot about these three verses. In fact, back in college, I wrote a whole paper on these three verses. But today I just want to highlight two things that stand out to me from this in this greater context of what it means to love one another. And those two things are the people... And the process. The people and the process. First, the people, right? John addresses little children, young people, and fathers or mothers. And, you know, all of the scholars and stuff, some have said he is referring to different literal ages of people, different generations. Others have suggested that John is referring to different stages of spiritual growth. Whatever the case, whether ages or stages, it's clear that the community of people John is writing to, the community of people that we are called to love is a diverse community. Right? Some people are here. Some people are there. Others are somewhere in between. Some people are this way. Some people are that way. And some people are a way that no one would ever expect. In these verses, John describes a diverse community of love. And it's important that no matter where we are on this map, that we work with each other, to love each other wherever we are. John doesn't tell the little children to hurry up and be like fathers. you know, Or, or he doesn't go the other way around. Instead, he names and blesses each group where they are. Little children, fathers, mothers, young people. He he blesses and, and names each person wherever they are. There's this diverse community of people but I do want to say something about the sort of, you know, ages and stages of this passage. You know, Most of you know, a few weeks ago, Caitlin and I went to visit her grandparents in North Carolina. Uh, and while we were there, I, I got to kind of sit and talk with Caitlin's grandfather for a while. And it was really, really special. It was really, really great. And as we were talking he mentioned that his pastor at the church they're a part of often encourages him and and other grandparents of their congregation to reach out to their grandchildren. To reach out to their grandchildren. And he mentioned how important that was to hear from his pastor. So as I was reading this passage about different generations, I thought, huh, well, I guess I'm pastor or minister here. Maybe I should say the same thing. So I want to encourage you if you have grandchildren, reach out to them, pour into them, encourage them, pray for them. It's a powerful thing. maybe you don't have you know grandchildren but but you have nieces or, or nephews, uh, some other kind of Family member, or maybe it's not even family. Maybe it's a, a, a friend, a, a, you know, something like that. Uh, whatever the case, reach out to them. Pour into them. Encourage them. Pray for them. Children need more adults than just their parents in their life. And maybe you're thinking, oh, I'm just you know some old person. I'm just a grandparent. I'm just some far-off aunt or uncle. But don't minif- minimize the, the powerful encouragement that you can be in the life of others, of those who are younger than you or older than you, right? Maybe it's the other way around. You have a parent or a grandparent or you have an aunt or an uncle that you might reach out to. Invest and those relationships. Bring the love and the light of God into those places. Families can be transformed in this way. Communities can be transformed in this way. So this is the people that we see in this passage, right? This, this kind of diverse community, different ages, different stages, different all kinds of things. A diverse community Of love. But I also want to highlight the process that we see unfold, that that John describes here, because love is not just something that we do, Uh, it is something that we grow in. It's, It's a process, right? So the process that John describes here underscores what we already saw last week forgiveness of sins is only the beginning. That's only the start of the gospel, right? To the little children, he writes, your sins are forgiven. But then to the young people, he writes, you have overcome the evil one. And then finally to the fathers or or, or the mothers, he writes, you know him who is from the beginning. Right? This is our process of growing, Right, from the forgiveness of our evil sins to overcoming the evil one, to ultimately knowing the true one who is from the beginning. This is our process of transformation, our process of growing in love. You know, and and we see this again in, in Jesus, in, in his death and resurrection and reign, right? You know, his death is this picture of, of overcoming sin, the destruction of sin. His resurrection is this picture of overcoming the evil one, of defeating death itself. And his ascension to reigning over all things is this picture of what it is to know him who is from the beginning, right? As we grow, we grow in Christ. The forgiveness of sins is only the beginning. That leads to transformation as we actually overcome the evil things in our lives. As we actually become new people. And all of that is meant to lead us to deeper and greater knowledge of God, the One who is from the beginning. And I want to reemphasize that knowing the Father does not just mean knowing about Him. But truly knowing him by loving him and living in his love. And that's exactly what comes next in this last section of the passage, verses 15 through 17. He turns back to this, this conversation about love. But here we get a warning about love. Verse 15 says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. The love of the Father is not in those who love the world. This is a warning, I think. Because, see, we are, we are called to be a people who love one another. But not all love is the same. You know, there, there's a, a popular phrase that you often see scattered around, you know, and little signs that people will post um, sometimes in their yard that says love is love. Which kind of doesn't mean anything at all, if you really think about it. Um, but what John is saying here is that not all love is the same. There is a love of God, and there is a love of the world. We don't blindly follow love. We don't blindly follow uh, just you know in, intuitions and, and desires and things. We are to be renewed by the love of God. Love is not just love, right? There's the love of God and the love of the world. And John warns us that all that is in this world, the desire of the flesh, the desire of the eyes, the pride and riches, comes not from the Father, but from the world. And so we are to pursue God and the things of God. And I want you to hear this. Uh, Christians are just as likely to pursue all the wrong kinds of love as anyone else. Uh, This this weekend, I just went to go see a a new movie that came out called The Eyes of Tammy Faye. Uh, It's about Tammy Faye Baker, I don't know if any of you know who this is or are familiar with kind of that story, um, very controversial, uh, you know, very messy, right? But it, it tells the story of, of Tammy Faye Baker and her previous, you know, ex-husband, Jim Baker, who had this huge worldwide network of sort of Christian television, Right, and and they would, you know, bring on people, do talk shows, do all kinds of stuff, preach, and so on and so forth, and uh, it was incredibly corrupt. Uh, there, there were sex scandals. There, were, there were money scandals. Uh, Jim Baker ended up going to prison for fraud. Uh, you know, it, it just. It was very messy, and, and the movie did a really great job of portraying the story and, and sort of some of the complexity of all that was going on. One of the things that struck me about it is that over and over again, uh, Jim Baker in particular in the movie will say things like, well, God is telling me this. You know, God is telling me that, that we need to get more money. We need to, to expand these things. And it always sounds good on the surface. But it truly is a pursuit of the desire of the flesh, the desire of the eyes, the pride and riches, right? People who who claim to follow Jesus are just as susceptible to these things as others. I I think that the the movie did a great job of showing what is the, the toxicity and the hypocrisy of Christian celebrity culture where we're so drawn to whatever is flashy on television, whatever the most popular book is, or, or, you know, album that comes out, or whatever the case may be. Uh, this, there can be good things in, in any of those. But it can so easily become more about fame than the gospel. So more about riches in this world than the truth of God. And so not all love is the same. Not all desires are the same. There is a love of God and there is a love of the world. And John warns us of this. Verse 17, The world and its desires are passing away. But those who do the will of God live forever. And that word is literally the word abide forever. It's one of those words that recurs throughout First John. And so, this is what John unpacks for us. What is this command? It's old and it's new, and it's to love one another. And the people we love is this diverse community. Some who are like us, some who are very unlike us. Some who are here, some who are there, and yet we are called to love one another just where we are. And as we pursue that love, we are to grow in the knowledge of God. And not just about God, but truly living in the love of God and forsaking the love of the world so that we might abide in Him and walk in Him. And so as we close, I I want us to pray a prayer It's an ancient prayer that comes from St. Francis of Assisi. And he teaches us this prayer of becoming a people of love, of becoming a people of light. And so will you join me as we pray this together? Lord, make us instruments of your peace. Where there is hatred, let us sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. Fill us with your light that we might walk in your love. Amen.